0: Greetings, Creepy Readers. The sixth episode of the Creepy Reader Podcast begins in three, two, one. When the night is coming along, in your home in bed wearing your phone, just dry and Well, hello there, creepy readers. It's me, your host, Coffin Jay. Then welcome to the sixth episode of the Creepy Reader Podcast, the literary horror show made and named just for you. Ah, guys and gals, gals and guys, gather around and feast your well, feast your ears, because today we are joined by the very talented and imaginative author of the novel Constructing Entropy, as well as the anthology series Symposium of the Reaper, Andrew Adams. Andrew, welcome to the Creepy Reader Podcast, good sir. How are you today? I'm doing well, uh, and thank you for having me here. Well, right on, man. Uh, well, thanks so much again for coming on the show, and congratulations on, uh, so we're recording this prior to the release of your book, but it's, this this episode will probably release after it comes out, so congratulations on the success and release of your latest uh, collection of short stories, Symposium of the Reaper Volume 2, man. Hard to believe. Um, Symposium
1: 1 was written about two years ago, and it kind of sat on my computer for a while before I actually did anything
0: with it, and here we are. No shit, no shit. Well, you know what? Uh, Stephen King threw, you know, Carrie in the trash. So I mean, right? Not that you would throw this in the trash, but you know what I mean. So uh, you know, as you know, Andrew, uh, here on the Creepy Reader Podcast, we do like to do some creepy facts. Um, So I'll give you the option. Do you want to go first or do you want to go second? I, I, I believe you said you prepared a creepy fact for us today. So I do have. I have two short ones. Oh, sweet. I like, uh, we, we're doing a double dip. I like it. Yes. Two short ones today. Um,
1: the first one being that uh, if bodies are kept in coffins sealed tight enough, such as in a wall type of memorial, sometimes enough gases can build up that the body actually explodes and can spill out onto the
0: ground. Well, that's gross. Yes. Yes, it now, is. I now, want, I want to know who tests these theories you know is it somebody who's like we should definitely do that with a dead body or is it just happenstance like holy crap we did this a dead body on accident and this is what happened come in on monday morning and find a mess <laughs> yeah. to clean up i suppose oh shit george god damn it um <clears throat> fucking george man um okay all right so i can get down with that i'm really interested in like uh Mortuary science and stuff like that. So dead body stuff A creeps me out, but B, I kinda like it because death is a shitty thing. And if you're able to come to terms with that in any way, I think it's kind of cool.
1: My other creepy fact is during the French Revolution, where the guillotine was introduced, uh people that were to be executed fought to be first, as the blade would get dull after multiple uses and wouldn't cut their head off cleanly at the first try. So they would have to sit there and Reset the guillotine and bring it down a couple times before the person would actually die
0: You know, I've actually thought about this recently and was Marie Antoinette first or second I wanted to she got killed with somebody. Do you know that? I don't know. You know I don't know why I'm talking about this. I know nothing about Marie Antoinette other than she got killed in the guillotine (sighs) I mean if, if they said hey man, we're gonna put you at the guillotine or we're gonna burn you at the stake I'm like, I'll take a dull blade still You know, pump that baby a couple of times. I don't care. Yeah, no problem. For sure. All right. Well, uh, thanks for the creepy facts, man. Um, And like I said, we double dip there. So that's even better. I like a good double dip. Uh, Mine is, it's a single dip, but it's like a long, it's a longer dip, as you can see. So uh, I'll preface this by saying I'm like a big Titanic nerd. I love history and like um, the history of the sea. I guess. I can't think of the actual word, like nautical history, I guess. Um, so, so my fact today is about the Titanic. On the evening of April 15th, 1912, the crew of the RMS Titanic hit an iceberg and sank off the coast of Nova Scotia, killing over 1,500 passengers and crew. And in the years following the catastrophe, the sinking of the Titanic has sparked a number of conspiracy theories. One well-known theory suggests that J.P. Morgan planned the crash to kill his rivals Jacob Astor, Benjamin Guggenheim, and Isidore Strauss. Another suggests the Titanic did not sink at all and the disaster was actually staged as an insurance fraud scheme. However, one of the most interesting theories suggests that Titanic was cursed by an Egyptian mummy. That's right. A month after the Titanic sank, the Washington Post ran a story blaming the whole fiasco on an Egyptian mummy. As the rumor goes, the mummy of Princess Amon-Ra brought misfortune on all who ever possessed her. The Englishmen who dug her up were all dead or bankrupt not long after they found her. After she moved to the British Museum, night watchmen reported hammering and wailing emanating from her coffin. Desperate to be rid of the cursed thing, the British Museum handed her over to an American archaeologist who arranged for her passage across the ocean on the doomed liner. It's likely that William Steed, a first-class passenger and spiritualist aboard Titanic, was inadvertently responsible for the rumor, uh, for it was the night of the ship uh, when it struck the iceberg that he was sitting in the dining room telling his compatriots the story of the cursed mummy. Now, that's what I call an unfortunate coincidence. The fabled Amun-Ra goes by another name, the unlucky mummy, and she still lives at the British Museum. No one has reported any more wailing since the ship went down. The so-called princess may have been pacified, but Titanic did not sink with her in the cargo hold, which is kind of too bad because that would make one hell of a horror movie. And that also, it kind of reminds me a lot of, um, you had, uh, there's that story in here that's Egyptian as well. Necrotic frolic. Yeah. What made you go? Yeah, dude, Egyptian. Cause for me, I was like, it's essentially like a naughty kid food fight story where they're like you know and then it ends like cask of <laughs> you know what i mean kind of um so I, I just dug it actually it was kind of like a disgusting food fight
1: that was supposed to be the the inspiration behind it so
0: well, well it came across uh, yeah i really enjoyed that one so um maybe i'll have to come back on and we'll have to talk fucking scary egyptian shit i don't know man <laughs> You know, moving on from our creepy facts, uh, you know, we have a segment here where we, we usually delve a little bit uh, into, you know, the story of the author. Who are they? Where are they from? And typically I'm just kind of reading the back of the book or a summary that I found online. But today we're in the very unique position where I have the author with me. So I don't have to talk about you. You can talk about you. Um, so just kind of tell me a little bit about you, man. Like, I, you know, where were you born? Just uh, give us, you know, give us the gist. I was born in California
1: lived here ever since, kind of in the outskirts, um, not necessarily in the city, and just got into writing at a young age. Um, It was always a hobby, nothing that I ever pursued, and in my 30s now, just decided to try it out. It was kind of something that I had always done, something I was always interested in doing. But I guess nobody ever tells you, if you want to write a book, you can just write a book.
0: No, they always say, what's your backup plan? Um, do you, so do you, do you remember the first story that you ever like thought of or wrote or like wanted to write that you were like, oh man, I could tell that story. Do you remember that story? I still have, I used to make
1: comic books when I was six or seven years old. Uh, I have a bunch of those here. They're obviously very crude and you know, rudimentary. Um, but that was where I started. I used to love to draw and write as well come up with stories. But then again, you know, there's a part of you that kind of goes, why are you doing this?
0: Right. Was, was it always horror based?
1: Um, no, I wouldn't say horror. I would definitely more absurd.
0: Fair enough. I could I could I could see that.
1: Yeah, for sure. I didn't I got into horror at a young age, but I don't know. I guess as a six or seven year old, maybe your mind doesn't immediately jump there. At least mine didn't.
0: So, so if you were always wanting to, uh, you know, write, were you a big reader? Did you have a favorite author growing up? Thank like that one author that you're like, oh yes, this is the author. Oh, uh, I did read a lot of Goosebumps. So, Arl Stein. Hell yes, always. That's a staple for anybody who grew up in the '90s and loves horror. That's like a staple.
1: Yeah, but I mean, otherwise, I didn't. I did a lot of things. I was always interested in a tremendous amount of things. So I, I never had a lot of focus that I guess that would be the thing. So I never read, you know, more than the average person or did one thing. I would read books, I would draw and et cetera, et cetera. So it was just kind of a a scattershot of all these different things I like to do. And I guess that's what led me here to doing this
0: style of writing. Uh. Gotcha. Well, I can see that your creativity kind of extends beyond, you know, just pen and paper. Uh, Well, I guess, I mean, if you're... That may not be the best analogy, because I guess when you draw, that's pen and paper, too. But you know what I mean. Um, not just writing. So that's pretty cool, man. Um, so I think that I'll quit jabbering, uh, and we'll kind of get into uh, a little bit about the stories. I have a couple more questions first. But I um, kind of want to give—I'm uh, I'm, going to let my deep voice guy read uh, a little bit of, of a, you know the, the back of Symposium of the Reaper, kind of show people what they're in for if they um, decide to go out and purchase this book, which I think they should. Thirteen short stories of the macabre from the mind of Andrew Adams. Out of the desolate depths, Symposium of the Reaper is an anthology for those of a morbid mental persuasion. Um, so you you've written a novel, Constructing Entropy. So, what made you think, hmm, I want to make an anthology? Um, you know, what was and what was the catalyst for kind of this whole Reaper motif?
1: Uh, The short story idea just came about on accident. I wrote the first novel, had no idea what I was doing with it, had no idea about publishing or anything at the time. And I thought, well, well, now what do I do? Um, Short answer was just try a short story just to keep the practice up and just keep doing something. And that very first story would have been *Pavor Nocturnus. Wrote that late one night, just jotted it down and said, there you go. Yeah, that's very fitting. Yeah, for that to be a late at night story. Uh, The the Reaper, that's just been something I've always had a fascination with. Just the concept of this person who's kind of not really good or evil, but essentially more powerful than any other Physical being that just kind of walks around with a, a scythe. I don't know. I've always been very attracted to it. So,
0: I, no, I like what you said about like it's not really good or bad. I never thought about that. I mean, you would think Grim Reaper, you think, well, that's evil. Death is evil, but I guess it is kind of impartial. I like that thought. So, I have. A few favorites from both books, but um, in order to not have a ton of spoilers, we kind of relegated to a few different passages. Um, so if it's all right with you, I want to go ahead and read uh, my favorite passage uh, from Symposium of the Reaper, Volume 1, which comes from uh, Colrophobia. <laughs> you don't really expect me to walk door to door and trick or treat at our age, Darnell cackles. You're going to have to offer me something a little better than an empty sack. He snatches the bag from Randy's grasp and tosses it into someone's front yard. Raising an index finger to make Darnell think he has an idea, Randy reaches into his back pocket and pulls something out, yet keeps it cupped in his hand and hidden from view. His other hand, with the outstretched index finger, turns over to gesture for Darnell to come closer. Really testing my patience today, I see. As long as you pay up, then I guess we're good. Darnell steps closer and reaches out to grab what he believes is candy from Randy's hand. "'Instead, he is surprised to find a practical joke buzzer "'that shocks him as his eyes shoot up to stare at Randy in full terror. "'The tall figure of Darnell rapidly and silently shrinks "'into a small, individual, wrapped piece of candy on the ground. "'Nobody around notices. "'Randy picks it up to visually inspect the treat before eating it, "'unwinding both sides of the translucent plastic "'in preparation of devouring this candy. "'What a nice surprise. "'I thought we were going to have to go out and hunt for you tonight.' not that you're hard to pick out of a crowd. What is not surprising is Darnell's lackey Matt being within arm's reach at all times. Randy should have expected this. Yeah, man. So, I picked that passage because that was one of those things where I, my jaw literally dropped and I wrote uh, and because I So with your stories, a, they not only do they take left turns, but those left turns are like hard, jagged left turns. It's kind of like being on the Indiana Jones ride at Disneyland. You know what I mean? Those, those turns are like, they're whipping you. And I'm like, what the fuck? And I found myself having to reread things because I'm like, there's no way that I read that right. Because that didn't just happen. And then I read it again and I'm like, that just happened. Um, and it's really satisfying and really fucked up. Um, so initially I didn't pick this one, but when I reread the book, I was like, you know what? Cause I, you had told me at one point, I think you said that this would make a good short film. And I kept thinking to myself, I'm like, how do you pull off someone turning into a piece of candy? And I couldn't and I couldn't think of it, but, dude, freaking great. So I, I got to know the story behind this. Yeah,
1: I mean, I wrote that one third after Pavor Nocturnus and Dance Macabre. And I think at this point was kind of starting to build some confidence as far as short story writing because it's a very different approach. And I wanted something that would be kid-friendly on the surface, but obviously what he's doing <laughs> is incredibly evil and sadistic and you know it's kind of more of a revenge tale than anything but i wanted it to come off as pg PG pg-13 but if you dig deep into it you're kind of like oh that's actually really wrong
0: right well yeah i mean it is it could almost be a Goosebumps thing, you know? I'm like, but it's a little too fucked up for Goosebumps. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Like, it just has that little edge onto it where you're like, that's just too... It's very disturbing to me because not only is he eating it himself, but he's, like, feeding it to all these unsuspecting people who then find out that it, it's, it's people, you know? <laughs> oh, man. The only
1: logical end I could come up with is they have to understand. And this teacher, uh, I mean, I'm sure everybody's had a teacher that they can't stand for whatever reason and so i just wanted the end to be that the teacher kind of gets his due
0: for picking on a child which i'm sure everybody can agree is pretty wrong yeah yeah dude i that almost brings up a question about Harry Potter, but I'm not going to go there. Um, but uh, yeah, man. So, and yeah, for so Mr. Perkins, it was Mr. Perkins, and he's a shitty teacher. Well, I, I can't speak about his actual teaching, but he's a shitty dude. And he reminds me a lot of a teacher that I had, Hankins. So there's like something about teachers that end in kins. I don't know what it is. It is what but, it is. Uh, but this guy hated me. I did make fun of his bald spot, so maybe it was warranted. Um, but I would have loved for him to turn into a big pile of gummy worms. I'm sure,
1: you know, that was kind of the idea was everybody's probably had a teacher in high school or otherwise that was just horrible for whatever reason.
0: Are you willing to call out the teacher that you hate? Uh,
1: One of them actually has passed (laughs) away recently, so maybe I shouldn't.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That would be a little insensitive, but this is a horror podcast. (laughs) Yeah, I know. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Oh, man. You know, he's he's passed away. I've had a few teachers
1: that, uh, you know, I... I was always preoccupied when I was in school doing stuff like this, scribbling ideas, writing. I used to write, you name it, I wrote it, you know, I just, I didn't know what I was doing. And I had a few teachers along the way that didn't really take kindly to that. Did you have any of that, any of that did? And they were like, yeah, man, write on. This is cool. Yes, absolutely. I had some teachers that were very supportive and I always, I was kind of a lone wolf, so to speak, not in a negative
0: connotation, but. Uh, you know, are you an only child? No, I'm not. Okay, I was gonna ask because I'm kind of an only child and I'm, I'm kind of the same. I like, I always feel really comfortable just like in my own little bubble. You know, I'm like, eh, fuck people. I'm like, I'm good where I'm at, just dealing with my stories and shit, you know? So I, I totally relate to that. So this, uh, but this little bastard in this story, he's a nasty little guy. You know, he really is. And just, and of course, the whole clown thing, I, you know, I think for a lot of horror fans was gonna evoke like a young Michael Myers. So I feel like there's some built in not lore, that's not the right word, but, um, association, you know what I mean? If you will. Um, was that, did you think about that at all? Were you like, cause I noticed you, you go to clowns a little bit, uh, a couple of different times. So do you have, um, do you have like a thing with clowns? I actually love clowns. Um, okay. a lot of people find them scary and I absolutely do not. Me neither. Me neither. Um, but I, Okay, so so you just know you just know you're like everybody else has a great detest for this, so I'm just gonna use it <laughs> as you should. It's a lot of fun because people are so
1: afraid of it, so it's kind of poking fun a little bit. And you know, to me, uh, honestly, when I was a teenager, I used to walk around in a clown mask on Halloween. Um, nothing, obviously I
0: didn't do anything like turn people into candy. So last thing I want to say about, um, this, uh, is, you know, if you were, if you were hand and you got turned into a piece of candy, what kind of, what kind of candy do you think you would turn into?
1: I would definitely choose sour worms. Like I did at the end. I
0: wrote in there, that's Randy's favorite candy. Dude, that is my favorite too. I fucking love sour gummy worms. It is. I'm just a gummy fool. I am a gummy fool. I would totally eat my teacher. Yeah, I'll eat anybody if they're a gummy worm. I don't give a shit. If it's my girlfriend, my lovely dog, if it's the old man across the street, I'll eat them all. I don't give a fuck. Yeah, if there's sour little sugar crystals on it and it's gummy, I, yeah, for sure. That's what I'm saying. And then if they just add THC to it. I'm just kidding. That's a <laughs> joke. Um, so as for me, I'm thinking like I, ultimately, I would love if somebody was like, you'd be a big hunk. <laughs> but no one's going to call me a big hunk. Uh, so probably something with marshmallows. Yeah. Um, just because I feel like that's a little bit representative of my health state at the moment. Um, although, fuck, I'd wish it were a payday because who doesn't want a payday? i all use a payday. We've gone through my favorite story, Colrophobia, Guys, I think, honestly, the book is... there. Every story in here is... You, you'll take something away from it. That's awesome. But Colrophobia is worth the price of the book alone. I'm just saying. Um, so... You, what's your favorite story from Symposium?
1: That's a that's a tough question. I think I would also choose Colorphobia at the top. Um, our class is another favorite, but I think as time goes on, I really gravitate towards the eighth story, which is Machiavellian. And that one is about uh, a comedian who, if we want to do spoilers, is fine, but it's uh It starts out in a comedy club and a comedian doing a set, which I had a lot of fun writing. Uh, It's just a really misanthropic comedian, and he's just trashing everybody in the audience, and they all love it, and they're eating it up. And the the story title, uh, Machiavellian, means somebody – well, I guess I could just read the last uh, sentence of the story, which is –
0: the ends always justify the means. So that kind of sums up the story. And I love I just love that word too, Machiavellian. That's just like I mean, it's fun to say, it rolls off the tongue. It sounds sinister. You know what I mean? So what a great title. It um, sounds you know, also like I don't know, um, vaudevillian. It kind of has a, to, a similar thought in my mind. Yeah, no, it it harkens back to like uh, like it just makes me think of like the really old uh like silent films. Um Like, uh, oh, Lord, I can't think of the one with the carnival doctor. I I forget the name. But uh, yeah, no, I I see exactly what you mean. You're kind of like, oh, this is like the 30s or something. Right. Like just the name itself. Um, Did you did you have a passage from
1: that one? Uh, Yeah, I'll read the end, um, which is after a particular eventful set and a particularly eventful night. The comedian Nick, uh, he wakes up in his hotel room to a knock on the door. And he says, who is it? Nick shouts over the scratching sound of pen on paper. The door swings open. Rise and shine, buttercup. Kim hollers. Good morning, sweetheart. Are you ready to go? Chris questions. Yes, my bag is sitting right here. Just give me about five minutes. Nick finally looks up. Jesus, Nick, have you slept? You're in the same clothes as when I saw you last night, Chris comments. You look like hell, even more than usual, Kim mutters. Never been better. Are you writing? Did you really sit here all night just to write jokes? Chris mocks. You know how it goes. The end justifies the means.
0: Nick smiles devilishly. And then that's the end of the story there. So. Right uh, now, you had mentioned earlier that there was maybe some misconceptions about that. Was that something you wanted to talk about?
1: Uh, Yeah, sure. It's about a comedian and a lot of the... It's definitely one of the more harsh stories in the book, I believe. And no, no shit. It's um it was definitely meant to tie together uh horror and comedy. And it's kind of the same part of our brain, really. It is. So if you go to see a, a stand-up comedian and he's a uh I'll just spoil it for everybody, he's a murderer and also a comedian in his spare time, and it is kind of a Similar part of your brain that gets excited by both of those things i'm a huge stand up comedy fan that always have been, so like I said, just about all my different interests, and I never could pick just one or even a couple so uh yeah, I mean really it was it was
0: more to tie those two things together, and again, it's one of the more harsh stories in the whole book I, you know I guess that's really the thing about comedy and because like you said, comedy and horror for me, they complement each other so much, and there's a lot of both That kind of Are woven throughout Both uh, You know Both volumes of Symposium So um, Yeah man I think that that's a pretty evident thing So whatever you were striving for You kind of Nailed it Nailed it Um, So before we move on to uh, Symposium 2 Which is the new book um, I wanted to Just chat a little bit about I'm a writer I'm sure that a lot of people listen to this like to write or they're very interested in the process of writing um, So I wanted to chat a little bit about your kind of your, your your writing process a little bit and maybe a little bit about publishing too um, So you know we, we want to see how the sauce is made you know what I mean so I guess In terms of your process I, I guess you know wh- what comes for you is it like is it plot is it Characters is it a situation at the end the beginning um, how do you plot a story As far as the short stories go, you know, 13 stories
1: per book, it can vary quite a bit, but traditionally it'll be a small idea. And that idea will usually I'll get the end in mind. Okay. What, what's my main point I want to get across. And then what's the end, where am I going to get to? And then I'll start to fill in the details from there. Actually, I'd say the characters come last. I'm, definitely as far as writing goes sitting and thinking of character names is probably my least favorite thing to do
0: mm. how very how very machiavellian of you the end justifies the means
1: yeah exactly i knew exactly <laughs> where that was going so then you just kind of work backwards from there right and right that's yeah but it's you know with short stories it can vary quite a bit from story to story of course
0: every writer has a voice do you do you have um do you have something about your own writing that you think, yeah, I think this is my quirk. This is what I like personally bring to the table. Somebody told me one time that I kind of dabble a lot in insanity
1: and psychological aspects, which I get just, I guess that's fair. So that would probably be my quirk is I deal with a lot of things that are kind of bordering on what's reality and what's not. And a lot of my characters are kind of put in horrendous situations. Some of them,
0: Uh, deal with it traditionally. And some of them sit there and say, this is great. I'm losing my mind. Things with insanity are the things that tend to scare me the most. So I actually think I have the most problem with those stories, like personally, you know what I mean? Um, I think we've all asked ourselves, are we going crazy? Am I going crazy? Am I going fucking crazy? Probably at least five times a day. And that was the point
1: of um, the second story. Dance Macabre was kind of
0: yeah, dude, I love I love that one And for some reason, you know, one thing that I kept getting in my mind I think it was just an image of heads in graveyards Was um, I kept thinking of the singing bus from like the Haunted Mansion
1: Yeah, yeah, it was kind of just, yeah. a, you know Everybody here is in the same situation But they're just kind of enjoying it And you know, let's just enjoy being insane, why not?
0: Yeah, totally um, And so... When you're writing something, what is your writing schedule like? Are you writing every day? Is it just when it comes to you? Is it a struggle? Um, And then, like, how long does it take to write a book? I try to write every day. Even if it's 15, 20 minutes, I like to stay
1: on track. Because I feel like if you take a day off, sometimes it can be two days off and then a week goes by, which sometimes it does happen because life um, but typically I write at night. That's my best time. That's when I'm i am a night person for sure. Um, but at the same time, I also try to squeeze in whenever I can. If I have 15, 20 minutes to write, because as you know, it takes takes quite a long time to finish a project. And typically for me, I look at maybe about a six month cycle between beginning an idea and editing and having a finished product. Usually it's about five, six months.
0: That's actually not a bad turnaround time though, especially when you consider like editing and stuff like that. I mean, not that these are a billion years long, but I mean, that's still 13 stories. That's a lot to like wrap your head around, you know, as a reader. And then uh, can you imagine as a writer, you know what I mean? You have to create all that crap um, in terms of publishing. So I know that you self publish and we kind of touched on this a little bit, but like, what's for you, what's like the most, like, what's your favorite part of that? And then what, what to you is the thing that's just the biggest headache? The best part about it is I would say the autonomy
1: of it. Now, like I said, I've always kind of been more of a lone wolf. Uh, I like to do things on my own. Not that I'm a, uh, I'm not a hermit necessarily, but I just, I tend to work better by myself. So it's nice to kind of have control over the process and and give everybody the same product I had in my mind, especially with horror. Uh, Sometimes, there's also there's some limits that people don't want to cross, and if you're traditionally published, you do run into red tape where they don't want to publish things that are quote weird or maybe a little bit outside of the normal. They want
0: formulaic horror and again no offense to anybody <laughs> yeah they're they're movie producers, you know what I mean that's what they are that's what they do they're like what are the ma- what do the masses want and um you know, I definitely think that there are things in these books that are. I certainly will appeal to the masses, but you're right. There's some of them that are like that was that was that was crazy. You know what I mean? Um, and I love that kind of stuff, so I'm all about it. And so yeah, I want to talk about the the book, the cover design, because I really like the Reaper, and then the, also the little bloody coffee mug on constructing entropy is pretty cool too. Um, you had mentioned that your wife, that was something your wife helps you with. Yeah, she's she's a photographer and she does the covers for me. Um,
1: so far, she's done every cover. So it's basically, we just keep it, you know, I write the books, but by no means does that mean I do everything myself. I have, I'd say, a good four or five people that kind of contribute in one way or another, and, you know, now we have, like yourself, with podcasting, and, you know, it, it really takes a team of people that are focused on the same idea, and I can't do everything myself. That's kind of... I would say narcissistic to say. So all I do is write, and then the rest of it, a lot of people help out that are on board, and I think it's fantastic.
0: Really, kind of the same with uh, with like filmmaking. You know what I mean? It's it's a uh, you know I, I feel like you and I might be similar in ways in where like I, I really like to own my own creative process. I, I don't necessarily like a lot of outside input, and then you get to a point where you're like, oh, I can't do everything, so I've got to relinquish something, and then you just have to trust people to help bring your vision to life, and usually they. I found out more times than not that they kind of supersede whatever your vision was. And it's like, okay, that's better than what I thought. So this is great. You know, so you just got to have faith in the process. Um, do you do you have any interest, like if somebody approaches approached you or, or do you think that you would ever have interest in traditional publishing?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I would. Um, I feel like more for the symposium series, that would be something I'd like to hold on to. If it was the right person and the right approach, possibly that might work. Um, otherwise, I have. I'm working on my third novel now. I think maybe I would go more traditional with a novel versus the short stories.
0: But you know, I'm really interested in publishing. I think I told you I had mentioned kind of in passing that I was like, I think I want to, might want to do like a documentary on indie publishing. Yeah, I just think that it's really interesting and it's really ever since I kind of got into this whole bookstagram thing, I'm like amazed by. The things that people are doing, I'm like, oh my goodness! And people are out there making real money and stuff like that, you know. And I'm like, this is fantastic! And I feel like we're in an age where this really was never like a thing. And I said this, and I've said this in the past, and I'll admit it again. Um, and only because you're like one of the people who's out there proving me totally wrong is I. Back in the day, I would not have given any author the right shake. You know what I mean? I feel like you know people say and they're like, oh you know maybe sometimes the binding isn't as good or the, you know what i mean um but i am just i'm seeing so much talent in the indie author realm that i'm like oh my god i just want to keep going further into it and i'm i'm finding that there's a lot of people who i'm just like if if more people would just pick this up they would freaking love it you know so anything that i can do on my end to kind of help facilitate that is kind of a cool you know it's like a it's like a privilege you know because i love stories i like telling them and i love reading them you know so um that being said i i want to delve into the uh, Symposium of the Reaper, Volume 2, or in Spanish, Symposio de la Muerte, Volume 2. The next 13 short stories in the Symposium of the Reaper trilogy. Even more twisted and delightfully maniacal, the second volume will leave you gutted with a smile. I do have a favorite passage from that one. And it's actually from the first story. I thought, is he going to think that I just copped out and didn't read the whole thing? But literally, I just, I, I laughed out loud so hard. And I called my buddy and I was like, dude, this is, if we're going to make a short story for the, it's going to, or a short film, it's got to be for this one. I don't know how, but I just, I was almost belly laughing. My dog went and hid under the like bed and everything. It was kind of embarrassing. Um, and that story is um, The Hunger It Aches. It will be sunrise before too long and you are hungry again. I know you are. Eat. Eugene rubs his cheek with his three finger stubs. Yeah, well, the soup was mighty delicious. I'm afraid we ran out of stew, Jean, and there won't be any more. You will absolutely love my new batch. Try it. Here, I will even feed it to you. Eugene fills the spoon with soup and gently pushes it between Danny's lips to guide it down his throat, as if feeding a convalescent. There we go. Much better, Eugene whispers. Danny's eyes open wide with sudden clarity. The second soup is even better than the first. That was incredible. I need more. You can have it all. The entire pot is yours. I have no use for it. How could a stew be so tasty and fulfilling, so pleasurable to eat? Tell me, what is in it? Danny implores. I call it Dorothy Bisque. Oh? Yes, Eugene leans in closer. I was wondering where she went. Yes, well, she is within you now, as I am and others before within me. She was delectable. Danny nods in monotone.
1: Yeah, that story actually is maybe the most important of all 26 so far. Really? How so? Because at at the start, when I wrote the first volume, um, I had that sitting on my computer. And like I mentioned before, never really thought about what to do with it. I just had it done. And at that point, I wasn't going to do a sequel. Had this idea actually for a short film uh, for a friend of mine that never ended up happening. And it just kind of propelled me into writing the second volume and then also to self-publish the first volume. So without this story, we probably wouldn't be here today, honestly.
0: Oh, well, I'm glad it's my favorite one. And I I think I told you this earlier. I'm like, dude, this is, I like, I really do like all the stories, but this one is like, the one that I'm just like completely lashed onto And like maybe borderline obsessed a little bit It's just so funny And I meant to preface the the, the passage that I read By saying that basically it's a story of a married couple Danny and Dorothy uh, Who go to dinner at this uh, House of this mysterious guy named Eugene uh, That I, I think Danny just like Met him in a grocery store or something like that And uh, so I just I wanted to have the names out there for context Because the first time that I read I call it Stu Gene I about shit myself <laughs> I thought and I love a good I like I love a good combo of words, you know, and I'm like, "Oh god. Oh, that's so funny." And then the other th- and we're, you know, I think we already decided that we're just going to spoil like one or two out of the thousand. I'm not going to spoil the whole thing. You want to read the whole thing cuz you're not getting all the context, but I just love how Eugene like My favorite thing in the whole thing is how, you know, he's cooking when they first arrive and he keeps going back to check on the food. And each time he comes back, he's like missing a new limb. And for me, that was just so funny. And I was just like, oh, I want to film that. I want to film that so bad. Yeah, it was actually I wrote it or I came up with the idea for a
1: friend of mine who's a filmmaker. And we had been talking about, like, let's come up with an idea. And usually my brain goes to jokes and stuff like that. And that's how we find ideas. And I said, hey, you know, what would it be like? What would it be called if a person was a cannibal, but they actually fed themselves to other people? And then we just kind of laughed about it and said, I've never heard of that before. Um, I don't, and then it just one thing turned into another. I, it, sometimes it happens so fast that you don't really have, there's no story about well.
0: Yeah, no, that's how you know, man. I mean, it, so it was one of those things that just kind of poured out of you, and you're like, man, this is just writing itself. Was it a write-itselfer? Write
1: uh-huh. Yeah, and that's,
0: yeah. you know, at, at the start,
1: I just went, oh, this is kind of disgusting. And Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I've had more than a few and- people mention that one, and, you know, for me, that was kind of the one that that gave me the push to keep writing because right after Symposium Volume 1, I wrote a novel that's kind of more – I'd say traditional and that's not out yet, but soon this year it'll be out. And uh, after that, again, kind of, well, now what do I do? I just wrote a novel. Uh, let me write this short story about a cannibal ish, kind of not really a cannibal, but, and then uh, that's what became the story. And at that point in time, I had no ideas of writing of a, a volume two. And then it just, Really snowballed into what we have here.
0: Oh well, it's it's cool and bad on your friend for not making it, but good on him too because now I, I'm gonna make it. What's your pick from Symposium too? It's your book, so you know what's uh, what's your fancy for the evening? I've
1: got a couple. Um, I think if I had to pick one favorite, it would be Killers Anonymous. Killers Anonymous was just another kind of absurdist idea, which I like to play with a lot. Obviously, it doesn't probably make a ton of sense. Why would you put a bunch of reformed
0: killers in a room together? Why not? Well, why not? And then, not why I have the one guy who's just like, I mean, he's like the crazy Baptist preacher who's like, fuck that guy, have at it. I, yeah. So no, that one. That was honestly that was like that was like madness. And the only thing, and I, I kept thinking like, what would this even look like? I can't help now, but imagine everything as a short, as like a film, you know what I mean? So I'm like, what would the reality of this be? And I just kept thinking like, it would have to be something totally fucked up, like the end of Rosemary's Baby, where everyone was just like, hail Satan, (laughs) you know what I mean? Just that feeling you get when you watch something like that. I'm like, it has to be something like that. But also, man, you write so much gore into this, that that's a hard practical thing to pull off properly, you know what I mean? To like pull it off properly, it's got to be gory and gore is expensive. Absolutely. I agree. And, you
1: know, it would be a great thing to film. Uh, I would love that. However, yeah, it would be tough to pull off. But as far as the story itself, uh, this is definitely. This is definitely kind of the apex of what I wanted to do with this, uh, this volume. I didn't want to put it last because the one that is last just felt like the proper closer. But this one was kind of to me the. Uh, This was the top that we were going to get to. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Chip, and I am your secretary. I am also a recovering killer. Hello, Chip, Rows of unenthusiastic audience members greet in return with a combined monotone. Before we begin, let us take a moment of silence for our fallen victims who could not join us today. Groans roll through the rows of occupied folding chairs in their meeting hall. Why would the victims be here anyway? Someone in the back comments. Well, Ronnie, they couldn't even be here if they wanted to. And you know why? Because you murdered them. Now pipe down and take a moment of silence. So I think that just kind of sets up the story itself, that it's what we're headed for, and it starts right off the bat. It's like, this is this is absurd,
0: but that, you know, why not? Well, it's funny. Well, I love absurdity. I just, I don't know. I just like the the groans rolling through the occupied folding chairs for me. That's just so funny. It's just like, and then I just like how this, uh, this, this chip, he's very solemn. He's very serious about everything. You know, he's like, this is. This is our path is to like, you know, redemption, (laughs) you know, and everyone's just like, oh, fuck off, shit. I I guess going
1: back to the concept of high school or something like that, I'm sure everybody's had a teacher that's much more enthusiastic than everybody else is. And they're trying to get you into the same level of excitement as they are. And you're just not happy to be there no matter what. And it's why are these people there? Um, I'd never say that. And I guess that's for the person to decide. And sort of another one that I was going to pick, which I had a hard time deciding between is the truth about cannibalism. And that one, it's uh, I think of them as kind of sibling stories that they're it's kind of spelled out in the title. What's going to happen? You just have a bunch of hapless idiots in the story and it just doesn't go their way. (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah actually that was that was my se- that was the second one on my list was the truth about cannibalism mostly because i i uh, embarrassing story but like i have a thing about new zealand you know what i mean so i you i i yeah, okay cool uh you know being a kid growing up with uh movies like
1: dead alive and bad taste from peter jackson and even in recent times you have movies like deathgasm and um what we do in the shadows that are
0: New Zealand made. Right, right, right. right. So for me, uh, here's my thing. Well, obviously, Lord of the Rings, I think, is the most obvious one. But no, dude, my, my whole entire thing for New Zealand is totally like a Xena and Hercules thing. So, so like, and so when you have a, I don't know if vernacular is the right word, but you notice some of the, the, the lingo and stuff that they use, um, you know, in here, I, I, so I was like, oh, he took some care to like, I was like, cause I, I kind of imagined, I'm like, dude, he probably had to research some of the language and some of the words. And, uh, and I was going to ask, is the kaitangata is that a real thing?
1: Not to my knowledge. I had to look up, it means ban eater in Maori. Okay. If
0: okay. I'm even okay. saying that right.
1: Uh, but it's, um, if you. you you know, look up the translation is man eater. So I just tried to make that a thing. And uh, I wanted to kind of portray it as you have these, these people going there, clearly they're going to meet some trouble. And they're just, they think they're so right that they don't even care. And that was just, it was like, you know what? I do a lot of stories where there are left turns and jagged turns and this and that. And this one, I really just wanted it to end how you'd think it would.
0: Yeah, no, it was kind of straightforward, but but at the same time, uh, I, I, I don't, I, you know, I really can't put my finger on why I enjoyed that. Like, I enjoyed the New Zealand aspect, but I just feel like I have just read so many stories recently about like stupid. I, like, I saw a story recently about some guy who was just obsessed about like bringing Jesus to this island of people, and they just like shot him with an arrow. You know what I mean? I'm like, so I'm like, this, this is exactly like that. That's awesome. Um, obviously, to a different extreme. Yeah, of course. I think the thought that I had in my head was the. Uh... Oh,
1: a long time but the guy that tried to go live among the bears and thought they were his friend eventually they ate him and it was kind of like well what did you expect
0: (laughs) yeah you think think they were gonna get hungry
1: yeah (laughs) you know these kind of hapless idiots that walk into the situation
0: and are they gonna get out of it no not in this case Right, well, yeah, no, well, I dig it, I dig it, yeah, that was uh that honest, so I think we're on the same page here that was my 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 other favorite that I really enjoyed, although if I would mention
1: maybe my personal favorite would be the third one in this one, which is number uh sixteen as within, so without that one was such a burden on me to write
0: as well. It must have been, dude, because like uh, that was honestly, that was such a that was such a trip. And yeah, it it is. So one of the things I'll say about some of your stories, and I think it kind of harkens back to a little bit of that kind of internal monologue that we're talking about. But it's just like it's like such a journey. And with a lot of stories, even though you're on a journey, you can kind of see the end point. You know what I mean? But for, for some of these, until you get to the end, it's like, what the fuck is going on? I have no guesses, you know?
1: Yeah. And that that's kind of the fun part is with short stories, even more so than novels, you get to kind of pull the string a lot more. You get to yank something away from somebody that they think it's about to happen. Maybe there's a happy ending. You get to yank that right away. And it's, you know, I was a a rather extreme insomniac when I was a kid, Um, so it kind of you know, it's a weird place to be a kid and be up at four in the morning by yourself um watching TV. And that was kind of the only refuge was just watching TV all night. And so a lot of these ideas kind of came to roost way back even then.
0: Oh, yeah, dude, that's that's Paver Nocturnus right there.
1: Yeah, exactly. And that's so when I thought about writing a short story, uh, well, what to write about? Oh, well, there you go. It's it's kind of almost the same thing. You're sitting up in bed. Wondering why you can't fall asleep, but it's it's kind of neuroses would be the thing I would refer to it
0: as. Not that I'm neurotic, but, you know, (laughs) well, I mean, are are we are we able to judge ourselves uh, (laughs) subjectively? I don't know. I don't know. It is what it is. But, you know, um, you know, for the most part, a lot of ideas stem
1: from that time period. I mean, it just was something that I
0: had to get through. And like I said, even now I'm a night person. So I feel like people cling on, uh, well me personally, I cling on to like a lot of the things from my childhood and those inform, those inform me creatively always. So I think I, I I understand that as well. Um, so just want you all you creepy readers to know that things have been popping off a little bit more than usual lately on the podcast which is amazing to hear um, and I, I thank you all again so graciously for listening but I do want to just take a moment to remind everybody to please uh, rate the podcast on whatever platform you're listening on um, you know give it a follow if you're any, if you're Give it a follow if you're on YouTube. Give it a subscribe. Um, it really does help us get noticed a bit more, and we want to keep making the podcast. Um, so before we wrap things up, Andrew, I just want to ask: like, where do you see yourself in five? You know, the next like five, ten years in terms of your your career. What are your aspirations for the future? Heard you say that you were you already have another novel penned and ready to go. So what you got going on? Yeah, I actually have
1: two novels ready to go. Um, I think the ultimate goal would obviously be to do this as a career. I have a day job, uh, which is fantastic. You know, if, if things fizzle out with writing, I will always, you know, fall back on what I know. But the end goal, of course, the ultimate goal would be to make enough money to do this full time. But if it doesn't, I'm just happy to be able to share what I do with people. I'm glad that people are enjoying it and connecting with it in a certain way Even a year ago from now, I didn't have anything published. So it's, it's, it's really strange sometimes in a great way, fantastic way. And just to be able to share this with people and people are enjoying it and continuing to come back for more. That's all I can really ask for, for sure.
0: Yeah. Well, we certainly look forward to the two novels you have in the pipeline. I'm over here thinking you got one and you're like, oh, I got two. You're a busy man, dude. Three novels in one year publishing. My goodness. He's on fire. I mean, well, the secret to that is that I wrote
1: for a couple of years before I ever published. So it's not that I work that fast.
0: I just don't tell him that maintain the illusion. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> I mean, I'm actually kind of more of a slow rider, I think I feel slow. But... Oh, I'm so slow. I, you know what, though? But like you said, sometimes it just comes out and it's like, oh, that was easier than I ever expected it to be. And so you never really know. Um So, man, before we leave, is there anything else you want to let the audience know?
1: Yeah, uh, I mean, just, of course, Symposium of the Reaper 2 comes out February 10th. And then following that, I'm about maybe a couple weeks away from finishing a novel right now. And then I'm jumping into Symposium Volume 3, which I already have planned, have all 13 stories outlined and ready to go. So that should be out.
0: Hopefully before too long, but All right, man, well, you're not joking around I certainly, for one, am looking forward to uh, Symposium 3 and these novels And I still got to reconstruct an entropy So um, I might have to have you back when we talk about that Because uh, a novel, like you said, is just a totally different beast than a short story So I'd be interested to kind of get your take on those things Um well, thank you so much, my friend, for coming in. I really appreciate it. I hope that you come back and chat with me again real soon. Uh, next episode, guys, uh, Zombie Zack is going to be back as we sit casket side and discuss Dean Koontz's Frankenstein, Book Two, City of Night. And uh, until then, keep reading, Creepers. When the night is coming home and